Today, it is Matt Corker, and I am the bro of Steph, the usual host. And today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing Lizzie Carp, the senior manager at StoryHive, which is a TELUS initiative to share more stories with the world through video. But Lizzie, it is so great to have you here. I want the world to know everything and anything about you. So tell us as a, you're like the most multidimensional and talented human I know right now. So tell us how you would introduce yourself to the world. Who are you? Thank you, Matt. Um, I heard this recently. A woman described herself as a slasher, and I'm going to steal that joke. I love it. I do have a day job that I'm excited to share more about where I support storytellers and filmmakers, but I, as of today, consider myself a community activist, connector, I'm a baby DJ. I'm learning how to DJ. And I find myself in projects and opportunities where I help people connect and mostly over story. And story has been a big part of not only your purpose, but also how you and I first connected. Well, outside, I think that if, you know, Joe and Pete were listening to this podcast, they would know that their parties were actually where we first interacted very socially. Yet, the first time that you and I connected was when you were hosting Rain City Chronicles mm-hmm. and it was happening at the Vancouver Aquarium. But for those of you who have, haven't had the pleasure yet of attending Rain City Chronicles or don't know what Rain City Chronicles is, tell the world what you created there. So this is a really special time for me to be reflecting on this project because this week marks my 10-year anniversary. I moved to wow. Vancouver this week, 10 years ago. And from Toronto, I'm originally from the US, but I moved to Vancouver with my then boyfriend, now permanent boyfriend. I didn't know anybody. And it was really a, one of those like sliding doors moments where I knew I needed to, I wanted to be in the West. It's where I grew up, I grew up around the mountains. And I had all of these creative ideas and I had these big visions of running a small business and I just needed to get there. And one of the ideas that I had, again, arriving here, didn't know anybody, had not spent any time in Vancouver. I think that's a really, that's a story that happens to a lot of people. But I um, spent a lot of time in Toronto around the music and the comedy scenes. And I found that the people in the audience that I met were way more interesting sometimes than the people on stage. And I wanted to create an experience where everyday people, or people who are not known for sharing personal stories could have the opportunity to do that. And 10 years ago, like it was really before iPhones, like social media was just starting. It was, it feels so commonplace, but it really wasn't then. There were shows like The Moth that were starting up in New York, but we weren't living in this like very story aware space that we're living in right now. And I was, bold enough and maybe naive enough to just start it and do it. And by do it, I mean start a live storytelling night uh, with a friend of mine who I met here. Her name is Karen Pynchon. And our vision was to create a accessible, inclusive, and really fun and spirited 
series, which we call Brain City Chronicles, where people can share stories based on a theme. And as I got to know the city, a big part of it too was moving this storytelling night around to different venues and that the venue would actually be a part of the story. And the first show was in 2009. Again, I just am saying it over and over again because whoever's listening who has a project, I didn't know anybody. I asked random people that I admired, that I'd heard of to just say yes and be a part of something. And it obviously was something that the city needed because people kept showing up and they kept saying yes. I was really nervous to be a host, but made myself like host a night. And I thought it was really important that women were seen as someone who would organize and support those kinds of stories. And over the last 10 years, we have hosted over, and in different iterations, like over 50 shows. Wow. Storytellers, thousands of people in the city collaborated with local institutions in Vancouver, including the Vancouver Hotel, the Vancouver Aquarium. I'll talk more about that. Places where people saw the value in using community voices to invite people into spaces. And it's how I really learned about myself and my interest in how to support people to tell their own story and to just fucking try. When I invited you. So every night was themed and I have a running list of just interesting people that I would meet, perspectives that I thought were maybe not heard or people who maybe I thought had an interesting story that they just weren't given the chance to tell. And we were invited to, we were actually given the challenge by the Vancouver Aquarium, which is a very large, interesting space and kind of a loaded space in Vancouver, just depending on how you feel about aquariums, to try to bring in a young crowd, young being like under 45, to experience a space. And my producing partner then, his name is Ken Sue, and I can talk more about our work too, but he really creatively pushed me to say, it's not just one venue. Let's set up, we set up five stages through the aquarium, move people throughout the space, just really inviting folks to be curious and to be a part of their own cultural experience, to be able to choose the stage and see a story and experience a space. And it was one of the most imaginative and wild events that I've produced here in the past decade. And I was really happy that you were a part of that lineup. I think it pushed a lot of limits. Then I get to meet people too in my life, which is, which is really the bonus. And that event in particular, things that I loved was that you didn't announce who was speaking on what stage at what time. And so for people who organize conferences or events, it's like you knew that there was a speaker that you loved, that you wanted to see, but you actually didn't have anywhere posted, this is when you see them. And the serendipity of what if I just stayed at this stage, this one stage of the five, actually allowed people to maybe hear people's voices that they may not have selected consciously. Exactly. And what what I try to do with a lot of my work is I really respect people and I want to give, especially folks who don't have a chance to, to shine, like I really want them to have that respect. But we also live in like a TED Talk era where it's so much about the bio of the person and their accomplishments. And so I'm often trying to, to create experiences where people are honored for their work, but you're not just your job title. Like you're so, you're a multifaceted person. And the story that you told that night was a personal one. And the more that 
I think we as facilitators of people and gap, like the gather people, I think we can give audience or participants a little bit more choice or option to, to kind of show up. And it doesn't just have to be the same shit every time. And you played with that format and story really creatively in different venues and in different formats. What was, has been like the trend that you've seen in how we share stories now? You really focused on the like in-person experience. And now to your point, which you just brought up, we now have TED Talks all the time. They're super accessible to us. Now we're creating content on Instagram and reading people's personal stories or little snippets of a story that they're sharing. How has that translated in, into your work either with StoryHive or what are, what are you seeing as like the trends of storytelling? That is such a great question. That's such a great question. There's some really exciting and overwhelming trends in storytelling right now. One of them is that we're, we're all content creators, like you said. So that gives us the opportunity to practice visibility, which is something I think about a lot. How can we own our story and tell it for people who are watching us, for the people that are listening to this conversation right now who need to hear that? Like that really, really excites me and inspires me. On the other hand, when does it become too much? Like when do we commodify our own story? And I'm currently on month six of an Instagram break and I'm not gonna be that person, but I do highly recommend it because it's made me really find the, the sticky point. My purpose in life is to connect people through storytelling and that's a platform where that's been available and it's really good at that. But I found that I was just like over telling my own story to the world and wasn't sure why. So I think that is a trend where we might just feel like we have to be telling our own story and that kind of worries me. But that's a very privileged opportunity to be able to, to have access to that and even think about that. Another trend that excites me truly is that some audiences are becoming more critical about who is telling the story. And that whether it's listening to this podcast and thinking about the hosts and what it means to be listening to you or guests or thinking about TV that we choose to watch or movies or music and then learning about the people behind it. I think the trend around being critical about who is telling what story and who's making it is, I hope it's not just a trend, I hope it's here to stay. Like that really excites me. And I could talk about that all day. The TED Talk piece that you mentioned, I think... It's exciting that we want to share ideas and that we want to give people uh, an opportunity and a stage, and that's great. Not everybody does it with care. Like, I know that you for your event a few weeks ago, like, such care goes into who's on the stage, why are we there, and there's just a lot of it. And so for people, like, my... My mantra and my takeaway is just like, be really critical of the stuff that you see. Like really, really take a second to look at who's speaking at an event. Audiences are smarter now. Like we used to be like, oh, we'll just show up at this thing and like be entertained and hopefully that's okay. And now I think audiences are a little smarter to say, why are there only white dudes on this stage? What's the purpose of this? Like, what are we talking about? So if anybody can be an event producer, if anybody can be a content creator or a filmmaker, that's both so thrilling and also not everyone is going to do that with care. Right. Yeah. It's one of the things that you're, you're referencing Disrupt HR, which we hosted in Vancouver just a couple weeks ago. And what the care that we talked about, about, you know, who's on the stage, 
really mattered to us, mainly because it was whose voice doesn't get shared in this space before. And when someone is asked to take the mic, are they being asked to share the same story over and over again? Or are they being profiled? So how common is it to have a white lineup and the person speaking about diversity and inclusion is a person of color. And that to me is like a downfall of actually allowing the genius of that person of color to shine beyond the tokenized aspect of their skin color. I completely agree. And this might be incredibly meta, but I'm going to go there. I'm very aware of people who have the power in curating anything, whether it's a group of people or a dinner menu or a playlist, because they're choosing who gets the spotlight. And there, again, there are some people who take, who think so deeply and who are aware of tokenism and how to prepare people to make sure that they really shine. And again, not tell the same story over and over again but not everybody does. I mean, I guess this is like if you were doing, having a conversation about people that worked in restaurants, it's how people who own a restaurant have a hard time going to eat at another restaurant because they, they know how the shit gets made. Give me to an event and I will be, I will love it, but I will be, I will have a lot of notes. A lot of notes. Now, here's the interesting thing. You called yourself a baby DJ. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what sparked wanting to learn how to DJ. If you spend any time with me, like as I introduce myself as someone who has many interests, and there are definite through lines, but I've always loved music. It's always been my my go-to. It just makes me happy all the time. I love music history. I love learning about it. Mm. And the DJ part came into my life mostly because I love, like playlists are my love language. Mm-hmm. So I make playlists for everything. And I have a really close friend named Phil Wamsley, who we would just send songs to each other back and forth all day. And he knows how to like DJ, like use the actual equipment. And then he offered to teach me. And learning something as like someone in their 30s, learning something new, especially in a world of like performative perfection, it's great to be terrible at something. I played my first live set in November. And I was so fucking nervous. I've spoken in front of like rooms of a thousand people. I've humble, I've done a lot of shit. I was so nervous to play music in front of my friends. I turned the, I turned the turntable off. I was sweating profusely and it just felt really good to be challenged by something that was like creative. The dance party, we raised $4,000 for Trans Lifeline in the States. So it's part like learning something new and then also um, there's an organization in Canada that focuses on training women and queer people and non-binary people to DJ because maybe one of the reasons I didn't DJ as a kid is because I never thought that I could. I never saw any women or people in my community doing that. And so there's a, a group of folks who offer training. So I've been able to have a few other mentors and it's really fun. I highly recommend learning something you don't know how to do and being really really bad at it. And what are you learning about yourself in this process? Uh, well, that's such a good question. Um, I think in learning something new and something that's creative, part of it is like many of us realizing that I don't make enough space for a creative practice. I often tell people that my creative practice is gathering people and I really believe that. That's that's how I, how I function. But to not be working towards something 
and to to really be humble and aware of a skill that I maybe didn't really know or understand before. The community in Vancouver especially, like you can actually go to parties now that are only hosted by women and queer folk and non-binary folk. And that just to be a part of that and think about how radical that is, it's so inspiring. And also music is amazing and it's the best. Someone once asked me if, if I was going on a road trip, who would I be? Like what character in the car? They're like, oh, you're such the driver. I'm like, no, I am the DJ for yes. sure. Yes. It is such a, a crucial role. And I feel like Spotify actually just released a survey that came out and they said that the younger generations so of Gen Z actually uses music as part of their mental health practice. And it's part of how they heal and it's part of how they cope with the craziness of what is going on in the world. There was actually a moment when I took like an exhale and I was like, thank you. The power of music isn't just to dance or to be angry or whatnot, but all of those pieces, the dancing, the anger, the excitement, the love, the feeling, actually helps us connect to ourselves in a way that takes care of ourselves. A big theme for me this year has been just noticing when we put in a little bit of effort. So music or media or the internet, like so many people just let it happen to them. They don't, everybody has shit going on, I understand that, but by taking 10 minutes to like think or research or think about whose music you're listening to and what that means and why, it just makes it so much richer. And so I think maybe it's the act of like selecting songs and thinking about the artist and thinking about the time in which they were making music and what it meant. It deepens the meaning. And then it's a gift to give other people to like create a soundscape for an experience. So maybe I'm Gen Z and I didn't know it. Gen Z. <laughs> um, okay. I can't not talk about this. You gather people, you create an incredible space for people to share stories in an organization called, or in an event called Loaded Bow. And if you were to Google it, you couldn't find it because there's no digital presence. And it happens in Palm Springs every year. And tell us, like, give me the 90 seconds, like what is Loaded Bow and why is it so special? Oh, that's good. Loaded Bow is an annual gathering for self-identified women to come together to learn and meet one another in a space that is energetic and hot and a, a space that's designed for people truly to connect over conversation. I was a part of the very first Loaded Bow six years ago and I was brought in to help produce a few years ago with a really big focus on inclusivity and using conversation as the lifeline, uh, like the lifeblood of how it can support the community. And it's amazing seeing mostly entrepreneurial women uh, come and connect and meet one another and fill up their soul points, their tank for the rest of the year. And I'm happy to tell anybody more about it. And it exclusively doesn't live online because that's not what it's about. And how can we set the tone for an intentional gathering by at the very start, it's not a brand. It doesn't live online. And how can people interact with each other? And they're mostly not on their phones. And I feel very, very proud of that. And what I love the most is like, it's not a branding exercise. And I think that so often when we're about to create something, 
the second question is, okay, but like, what are we going to call it? And what is it going to look like? And how are people going to find this? And what's our hashtag? And it's like, is that actually the point? And when we bring people together to be in conversation and connect and learn and be challenged by one another, is that about what you then share on Instagram? It's a, it's a, it's a deep question. I think a lot of people are wrestling with it. And in designing a, you know, a retreat, a summit, whatever you want to call it, loaded boat, the thing that makes me proudest is that it's peer led. So it's not having like a special guest speaker. It's literally the, uh, a woman sitting next to you learning about her practice or her work or her business and taking those learnings and then applying them to your life and removing that hierarchy. We were talking about Ted talks is like removing the hierarchy of saying this person is so smart. Their experiences are more valid than mine. Their story is important and I am not. And it's squashing that and saying, we all have, we all have, a story to tell. We all have experiences and we can learn from one another. It doesn't matter if you're 21 and I'm 65 or whatever other life experiences that we have. And it feels like a bit of a utopia. And I really want to bring that kind of approach to other parts of my work, but it's easier by a pool. drinking. (laughs) That should be like this, the slogan for life. It's easier by a pool drinking a margarita. I want one right now. (laughs) Okay. Let's wrap this bad boy up. We end each podcast with one question and that is Lizzie, what is making your heart beat faster these days? Um, What is making my heart beat faster? I, as I talked about the importance of story and who's telling, who's telling what story, I often will tell people what I'm watching or like give show recommendations. So two show recommendations that I love and I'm obsessed with. Um, One is a TV series called Fleabag. It's on Amazon Prime. It's about a woman named Fleabag in London and it's created by a woman named Phoebe Waller-Bridge and it's just modern fierce story with the female lead and it's funny and gutting and I love it. And after you've watched that, the other show I want to recommend that I'm very obsessed with is called The Other Two. It's a comedy written by the two senior writers from Saturday Night Live. And it's, we all need a little comedy these days. And it's just wild and wacky and weird. And the main characters are like a woman and her queer brother. And it's just a modern these characters just feel real. And to see, to see this woman and this guy, like, it's just a relief that characters can actually have more going on for them than just being like a broken woman or like a token gay dude. And that's the other two. I, it's very funny and very smart and thoughtful. I love it. What's making my heart beat faster these days is actually riding bikes with people. Speaking on stories, it really surprises me how beautiful it is to just like pedal beside someone and chat. And so it feels like it's the new coffee. It feels like it's the new let's go for dinner. And instead the longer days have really allowed me to like get on a bike with friends and really connect uh, while moving my body. In the name of good stories, each story has a beginning, middle of an, and an end. And this is our end for today. Lizzie, what a joy to connect with you again, but also to have you on the Uncorked podcast. Thanks so much. And we'll include all the links of where to follow and find Lizzie below. Thanks so much, Lizzie. I have one more thing to say. Um, I just want to make an offer for anyone that's listening. Two things. If you are interested in filmmaking, 
and you live in Canada, please reach out to me. I would happily give you some resources or connect you to make that happen. Two, if you are curious about the facilitation course that the Corkers run, I am a graduate and I really, really love that experience. I was not paid to say this, I promise. <laughs> I was like, this is the best advertisement. <laughs> um, but I would love to talk about it if anybody has any questions and just what that experience was like for me and the, the takeaways I've already implemented into my work. So offers to connect and please take me up on the offer. <laughs> so budding filmmakers, facilitators looking to up their game, Lizzie has an open door policy for you and all the time that she can give to support you in your goals. Um, you're a rad human. Thanks for making time today. So are you. Thank you for having me. I feel so like I'm smiling ear to ear, very blushing. I'm really happy.